our sandbox gets smaller and we become more fearful of trying new things because, well, we've been hit on the left, we've been hit on the right. We don't want to take risks and we don't realize actually that the more we stay here in that state, in that mindset, the more difficult it gets as we advance. Whereas we need um, what I like to call a software update. And by having a software update, right, it changes our entire perspective. Suddenly what we thought was a very narrow field expands and you think, oh my Lord, my options are bigger than I thought. Retirement, that's what we're all aiming at, right? But exactly what does that mean? conjures up visions of endless days of golf, drinks with little umbrellas in them on a tropical beach, feet up, reading a book. Is that what it's all about? I don't think so. Life would get pretty dull after a while without anything meaningful to do, don't you think? I'm Jackie Doucette, and I'm on a mission to discover exactly what life is like beyond retirement. Join me while I chat with people who've already done it, who've retired to something rather than from something. Let's find out together exactly what's waiting for us when we say goodbye to that nine to five. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond Retirement. I'm really excited today because I've got George Jurgen with me. George is a mindset mentor to retiring boomers and is the author of the book, Dare to Discover Your Purpose, Retire, Refire, Rewire. George, thanks for joining me today. Delighted to be with you. What I usually do with all of my guests is start off with a bit of your history, a little bit of the background that takes you to where you are now and why you're doing what you're doing. I know you, in your little uh, blurb at the back of your book, you talk about, and in your book, you talk about having been given a a very dire kind of uh, prognosis that kind of changed life for you and I think the listeners would like to hear how that how that affected you and and what's come from it absolutely um uh, where do I start right start at the beginning um I unretired by accident um because uh at the age of 52 I was diagnosed with a bone tumor which I didn't even know what it was um but it transpired that it was um it was a tumor the size of a large eggplant, an aubergine, sitting on my pelvis. And I've been feeling pain in the back of my, um, in my, um, in my back for a long time. And I was going to physio and all sorts of things to try and um, get it better. And I went to um, a specialist three times. And because they have these um, insurance related uh, parameters within which they work, um, they would only take MRIs or x-rays above my pelvis, not below. And I would say to the consultant, can you please take it below? And the consultant would go, well, I'm not really permitted to do that because the diagnosis is here. And so three times, I have to say the worst part of it is that when I was diagnosed um, with it, um, the consultant called me and was asking for my forgiveness. And I was going, you know, so I said, it's, you know, it's your job. You did what you could do. You know, can't blame yourself. <laughs> but anyway, um, well, when that diagnosis came up, the oncologist said to me, you have um, bone tumors are in 98% of cases, um, secondary cancer, which means it's spread around your body. 
So, and he said, you know, you've probably are looking around six months of life. So that was like a, a huge wake up call. And I thought, wow. And, but in the process, um, it took three weeks for them to do all sorts of tests to confirm that this was uh, what he thought it was. Thankfully, after three weeks, um, they were able to say, you know, good news and bad news. The good news is that uh, you belong to the 2% club, which um, means that I will live. Uh, the bad news is that it needs surgery because it's an aggressive tumor. It needs to be removed. And you're looking at six months of convalescence and you're going to have to learn to walk again. So um, obviously I was relieved because for three weeks I had the sort of Damocles above my head. Um, and what was weird was I wasn't afraid of death, which I thought I would be. Um, and um which surprised me, but I was having angst because I then had two teenage daughters and mm -hmm. they wouldn't see me. I wouldn't be around um, as they were transitioning to adulthood. And, and that, that really did um, upset me a lot. But yeah. apart from that, I, dying itself didn't seem to bother me for some strange reason. Perhaps I was doing already what I wanted to do. So um, departing didn't seem that difficult, but the difficulty was just the emotional thing with my family and my daughters. Um, so in, in any event, um, from that point on, my life has been, in my perception, um, one of I'm on bonus time. And when you look at life uh, that way, it, I mean, having a rendezvous with death is an eye-opener um, when you realize all the stuff that you've been chasing is a complete waste of time. Um, yeah. The most important things um, you consider unimportant or not as important. So that, that was the big mindset shift for me. But as a result of this, I decided to completely change course um, uh, in what I did. And I thought the natural step would be retirement even though I was 52 and it was too early. But I thought I might as well start dabbling in this retirement thing that's been oversold as a great place to be. And so I unretired. Um, as it was, I ended up, um, uh, because my father-in-law uh, passed away, and so I had to look after his estate, et cetera, et cetera. So I was busy, but it wasn't busy. Uh, long story short, um, after 12 months of semi-retirement, I found my energy sapped. I didn't have the, the joy of jumping out of bed in the morning to do things. Yeah. The honeymoon period was over. And the reality of retirement, there's one word for it, sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. And, um, and I know a lot of people will defend retirement to their dying breath because they've probably, in my view, worked at jobs they hated and so retirement for them is a kind of an, uh, a, a place of a reward, although it's not, but they can't emotionally admit to that because uh, they're invested in this uh, situation. But I was able to take a, st a step back and look at retirement as it was because of my litigation. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going backwards and forwards interweaving, but um, because of um, the litigation I got involved in, 
which I had to fund and, uh, and fight. After about um, 2000, 2015, um, so that's about eight years later, um, I was not happy in my retired, semi-retirement. I wasn't happy with any of those things. And the litigation was going on. My energy was being sapped. And I came to the point where I was actually taking naps in the afternoon because my energy was just so low. Uh, my wife sent me to the doctor, blood tests, everything else, all came out. My testosterone and my thyroid levels were on the floor. And the doctor said he can't do anything to help me because any medication he gives, if this continues, um, I'm going to be back in the same place. So he said, you have to change something in your life. What's going on? I told him about the litigation. He said to me, you have to sort it out. I said, I'm dealing with a Chinaman and um, he doesn't understand win-win. He wins, I lose. And that was not an option for me. Surrender was not an option. So I went on a 30-day silent retreat. Uh, and it was an Ignatian silent retreat in the mountains of North Wales. And in that silence, I was seeking to find an alternate route for my life. What, what, do I, what did I want to do? I didn't know. I was lost, rudderless. And in that silence, when all the outside noise is taken away, um, no TV, no emails, no phones, no newspapers, magazines. It's just you and the Bible and a spiritual director. And you're delving in and doing an audit on your own life. And so I had to go back to very early in my, in my youth, um, childhood. And as I visited each house I had lived in, I looked at all the good things that had happened to me and all the not so good things that had happened to me. And as I'm a writer, I, I wrote everything down in this two, two sort of um, large uh, books. And I wrote in, the, uh, in these books, my feelings, my thoughts, everything coming out. And as I had lots of time to process this, you know, two hours of walking in the Welsh mountainside, clean air, coming back. Um, Sounds beautiful. It is. And I, I, you know, I invested the time to do an audit on my life, which is something I recommend my clients to do. You need to go back and look at your life. It's not just a continuum, it's, um, it's your essence. Um, and in a sense, it's about looking back at all the challenges that you had, all the good things that you had. And in the process of doing this, what I discovered was that all the opportunities that came into my life came in as a result of a preceding crisis. So in essence, we, I ended up being grateful for each crisis that happened in my life, because it opened up to new opportunities. And those opportunities would not have opened up without these crises. So I ended up writing a book on the back of that called Spirit of Gratitude, Crises or Opportunities. And I chose 12 specific events um, in that um, journey. And so to come back um, uh, to, to my story and the link to this is that I then, after that, I decided that the litigation was no longer going to be a priority in my life. It was going to be secondary. I was now going to carve out a new path in this second stage or third stage of my life, as it were.
And I wanted something different, something that um, was close to my heart, my feelings, uh, my values, something that I hadn't done in the first part of my life, uh, where you are chasing uh, awards, accomplishments, recognition, money, achievement, and so on and so forth. Whereas in the second part of life, you almost are shedding that skin, right? You are the caterpillar that's going into a cocoon. And in that cocoon, you're transforming yourself into something new. So that transition or that journey uh, is never easy, but it's essential to discover yourself because what you don't want to do is um, as part of my studying, uh, I came to learn about this, is find out on your deathbed that, oh my God, I didn't live the life I was supposed to. I lived it, you know, on the basis of what I'd learned from my parents or my spouse and sometimes even one's children. You know, you're always doing things for other people, which is a wonderful thing, but don't forget yourself. You know, uh, this is your journey. Uh, and, and, you know, we, I, I have this thing about in, in, in our Christian uh, background, we have this, you know, love your neighbor. But what people forget is the equation is love your neighbor as yourself. And most of us don't love ourselves. So how can we possibly love our neighbor? So you have to learn to or, love yourself. Yeah. Or we're doing it. We're loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, which isn't very good either. Exactly. So that equation is completely um, uh, uh, upended. But um, so, so that journey started me um, on a new path. And on the back of that, I um, wanted to learn about changing mindset. So I joined one of your fellow Canadians, um, Bob Proctor in Toronto. I went on a one week um, event that he held and I had read the book that Bob Proctor was Bob Proctor's um, Bible, uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I had read that book 20 years ago um, when I was an insurance uh, agent. And one of the things I took away from that book was persistence, uh, which was an attribute I did not have. (laughs) So I learned from that. And in a sense, um, I was able to fight the litigation by being persistent, by not caving in, not giving up, keeping, you know, just keeping the thing. Every time the story changed, I'd move forward. And so that was a great thing. And when I heard that Bob Proctor was talking about that, and that was the pillar of his foundation of teaching people how to change their mindset, I thought, I want to go see this guy. And you know, at the age of whatever I was, I think I was must have been in my early 60s then, um, when I went to see Bob Proctor, I thought, you know, I never thought at 60 I would have a mentor who's older than me. Um, and there was Bob. Um, and so I, and, and I worked with his organization for about 18 months. I learned a great deal. And then uh, I decided that I wanted to do something on my own. I had my own ideas about how I wanted to... Um, cook this new career of mine this um and i wanted to focus on one group which was people like me retired boomers i wanted to focus on retired boomers because i'm one of them so i understand their situation 
And when I say things, people know the reference points because we belong to the same kind of tribe. Um, and we've been through the kind of same uh, ups and downs in life in, in, in a way, historically, politically, and socially. So there's a reference point because I don't believe you can serve everybody. You've got to be um, judicious about who you serve and serve those that that tribe in a very personal way, in a in a in a in a, in a, a kind of a direct way, I suppose. So that's what I did. I chose the, and so just before the pandemic struck, for about a year, I was working on creating a program based on my experience using mindset and using the experience of doing an audit on your life. And so I'm not a natural coach or a coach that's been certified by the International Coaching Federation. But that said, there are very few people doing what I do. There's a handful of retirement coaches. And I think many of them have come from the coaching um, life so they move with their clients, as it were. As their clients age, they move with their clients. So theirs is a different kind of journey. Um, and, and so I, I come in with a whole new perspective. Um, and, and so I prepared my uh, program, which was uh, over eight weeks. But, you know, it's once a week for 90 minutes. And then I give them a week between each um, module because there are exercises that people need to do, and you need to give it time. Um, most of us like to do quick things. You know, um, we, yeah. we live in a sort of a, in a, in a society where um, you, we want things done yesterday, but this is our life. And for many of us boomers, we're likely to live another 25, 30 years. And you have to value yourself. You have to value that the time you spend in putting the foundations for the next chapter of your life is hugely important, you know, and going back and doing an audit on your life is like digging deep. And the deeper the foundation, the higher your, your sort of calling or vocation will be because you're digging down. Um, and what better place or person to invest in than in yourself is my view. You do you think that someone who has not yet reached the retirement age, you, you, you say you're doing retiring boomers because that's who you are, but do you think someone who hasn't quite made it to that point yet would, would benefit from doing an audit on their life to see where they're going and what they should be focusing on for the next period? Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, to be honest, you can actually go to the age of 35 and say, you know, if somebody has been in work up to the age of 35 and suddenly they've come at a crossroads in life and they don't know what to do, that is a perfect time to do it. Um, and there are there are many people out there who can help you go through this transition. Um, you know, it's not it's not rocket science, because what you need to do effectively if you're 35 is to go back to who am I? What do I want to do in my life? What gives me joy? And by going through that process, it's much quicker and easier. And at 35, you're adaptable. You have um, physical energy. You've got drive. And if you harness it to what you love to do, well, you'll take off very, very quickly. Whereas with individuals who are in their 60s, 
Um, it's more difficult because, as someone said in a very sort of a beautifully described way, our sandbox gets smaller. <laughs> and we become more fearful of trying new things because, yeah. well, we've been hit on the left, we've been hit, hit on the right. We don't want to take risks. And we don't realize, actually, that the more we stay here in that state, in that mindset, the more difficult it gets as we advance forward. Whereas we need um, what I like to call a software update. And by having a software update, right, it changes our entire perspective. Suddenly what we thought was a very narrow field expands and you think, oh, my Lord, my options are bigger than I thought. But to come back to your point, Jackie, um, if somebody is in their mid-50s and they've either lost their job or they've been um, laid off or decided to do a mass resignation and leave because they were unhappy where they were, they have no idea what they want to do, but they were not happy where they are. And after two years of the pandemic, decide, you know what, I am not going back to that kind of work. They're listening to their bodies. They're listening to their inner voice. And in a sense, the pandemic, the crisis was an opportunity for all of us to pivot, mm -hmm. to change and do something different, something that inspires us. And for these, for, for these folks who are in their 50s, this is a perfect time to, um, to reassess your life. Because after all, you've only got one. Um, and, and, and also when you reach 50, I think 50 is the kind of age that psych psychologists will tell you, um, we suddenly realize we're mortal. Um, and, you know, that changes perspectives. It does indeed. Now, I've gone through your book and as I was going through it, I had my little yellow highlighter and I was marking things down because a lot of the things that you said are things that, that I've said to people and, and had them kind of you know, look at me like I've got three heads sort of thing. But the ideas that aren't that out there, I don't think. The, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the, the people that stop working, that decide they want to retire, it's because they're not enjoying what they're doing. It doesn't mean they want to be doing nothing. And it's, it's so important for, for people to realize that it's okay to not like what you're doing and move on to something else. And it, it's okay to figure out, take some time and figure that out and move on to something else. But a lot of people seem to think that, you know, I've been doing this, I got to keep doing it, I got to get to the end, I, I need to get that, you know, gold watch or whatever it is. And it's really not that important. One of the things that I that I highlighted, um, right before I read your book, I read The Hundred Year Life by oh, um, yes. Lin Linda Grattan and Andrew Scott. Yes. And I really like the idea of the multi-stage life that they talk about. And I was, I was wondering what your thoughts of, of that are of, you know, kind of going back, you don't retire until you're 90 because, you know, you just change and pivot all the way along. Well, I, I actually think, um, yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, Linda, Professor Linda Gratton and I think Andrew Scott um, uh, were, were on the money. They're absolutely right. I think the old traditional, um, you know, uh, education, work, retirement, you know, it, it, that three-stage life is gone. Um, but a lot of people still have that old map in their heads, even highly yes. intelligent people. 
even in the financial services industry, and I think part of it is also because of interest. Um, their interest doesn't allow them to see beyond that interest. They don't seem to realize that the goalposts have changed. And for many of them, their remit is just the financial. So in a sense, uh, you need to save more. You need to put more money into your savings. But I need to live. <laughs> no, you need to put more. But the reality is, of course, that I reckon that in 90, I mean, I'm going to throw this number out. It's a crazy number, but it's true. In over 90, maybe 8% of the population will outlive their savings. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're 65 and you've got another 25, 30 years to go, how much money do you think you need to have saved that will allow you to comfortably cruise from 65 to 90 and beyond? You know, and, and, and people have uh, put a number to that. The, the latest one I, I heard was from, um, oh gosh, I've forgotten the financial services company now. Um, uh, anyway, it, it, it's a large American financial services firm. That, uh, Charles Schwab, finally. Charles Schwab came out that you need $2 million in order <laughs> to retire, right? That's your pot, retirement pot of savings. $2 million to retire comfortably. And that means, you know, you're going to get an annual income of maybe just under $40,000. Guess I won't be retiring. (laughs) Sorry? I guess I won't be retiring. (laughs) Well, how many people do you think will? That's that's my point. So that's the first thing. And and secondly, even with $40,000, you know, in the inflationary world that that is awaiting us, all right, we we still haven't met those headwinds yet. Um, you know, in the next three, four years, um, I suspect that with all the political, uh, economic and social challenges that we're facing, um, inflation is going to be very high. And that's going to eat away at even the significant pension uh, savings that people have made. So here's the thing. Um, you need to stay healthy through that period of time. You need to stay engaged. I know from my own research um, that a significant number of people lose their health when they're retired. The Center for Disease Control shows, if you look at some of the stats there and the graphs, um, after the age of 65, illnesses grow, literally rise exponentially. And you have to ask yourself, why is it that it rises after 65 and not at 62? Because by 65, the people who've retired, their brains have addled. They, you know, they're not engaged. And um, when you drill down to find out what happens to people in retirement is, to use the words of Brene Brown, their armor comes off. When their armor comes off, their identity, who they are, which was the work they did, when that's gone, who are you now? Yeah. You're vulnerable. You're weak. And in the world that we live in, weakness, oh. not good news. And the worst no. part is it's not so much what other people think. It's your own inner critic. I'm useless. Nobody needs me. What am I good for? 
these thoughts have mental and emotional repercussions. And again, I love using Brene Brown because she's the master when it comes to shame. And there is shame in retirement because the shame is that we are no longer participating. We're no longer engaged socially or even internally, mentally not engaged mm -hmm. in a work that uplifts us. That, and Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say that leads me into one of my other little highlighted points was that um, you indicate or you said that boomers are one of the most underserved sectors of the population and they become invisible, but they do it. We do it because we do it to ourselves. We, the ageism is something that we have to take care of from our point of view before other people are going to. And that kind of leads right into it. I've heard so many people say, I can't retire because then I'm nobody. And we've got to get past that. Absolutely. And here's the thing. I mean, that, that's actually a, a, a hugely important aspect that's completely ignored by mainstream media. Um, and, and in fact, even by corporations and the advertising world and by boomers themselves. We are the largest, if you like, wave of people that streamed in as baby boomers. We moved economies. We changed the social agenda, the political agenda, um, the racial agenda, uh, the massive changes that boomers have created by virtue of their size, really, um, and the times that we lived in. There's this final outpost, this retirement thing, and everybody's come down and just crashed. And, you know, we as boomers, we can't be sort of going, you know, quietly, tiptoeing to a quiet death. We were meant to go out with a bang the way we came in. And in a sense, this large group of people not only have the financial wherewithal, and, and I say that because 60 cents, I believe it's 60 cents in the, each dollar is spent by boomers. And although we may not have as much money as we'd like, um, to use a kind of a, a generational thing, the Gen Zers and Gen Xers and the millennials, they're in debt. <laughs> so we are actually a lot wealthier as a, as a group of people. We've got more power, financial power. Yet the advertising world considers us as ghosts. You know, in films, in movies, in uh, television, um, old people are brushed aside. And the thing is, is that we can't expect others to respect old age if we don't respect ourselves. That's why I give a talk to the American Society of um, uh, Aging. Um, and, and the title of the talk was Ageism is an inside job. It's the ageism isn't on the outside. We boomers are the most ageist of all the peoples. And I put my hand up as the first one. Okay. Because <laughs> I remember as a young man, I used to look at old people and go, ooh, 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 a shudder. Um, and we used to joke, we used to call them wrinklies and fossils. <laughs> and, and here I am 
a wrinkly and a fossil myself today. But guess what? Inside, I am ageless, as are you. We're ageless. And so why do we listen to that inner talk that depreciates us, that deprecates us, that puts us down? And that in itself is what causes us our ailments. Whereas if we had a, um, and this doesn't necessarily mean physical, okay? We're talking more about a spiritual power, that internal power of, you know, I am worthy and I am of service to people. I have value. And in a sense, imagine if we were to serve the boomer community. They're the most underserved people um, on the planet. Um, Granted, of course, that we've done it to ourselves, but we can rise above it and we can change. And I think I, I see that happening. And I see that as we, over the next few years, as we go through one crisis after another, which will be coming, you know, literally, um, and I don't mean this as a sort of uh, scaremongering, but the writing is on the wall. You can see it's around you. It's, it's not a, I'm no prophet, but you can see that the old system is crumbling. You know, people are patching it, but it, it's broken. And the new system hasn't come about yet. And there's convulsions happening. Um, and instead of being afraid, okay, this is the um, this is us going through transitions, not just personal transitions, but transitions on all levels in our life. Let me give you an example. Um, as in my case, and this is replicated across the planet with people of our age group, our relationships with our spouses and with our children is evolving. And we can't hold, you know, as a father, I can't hold the patriarchy. It's too heavy. It's killing me. I have to let it go. And it's scary to let it go because you think you're in control and you're not. But letting go is also very freeing. And it's about um, changing the way you look at your own relationships with your spouse, right? Now, in the old days, you would trade in for a new one, a younger one, for example. <laughs> yep. And you'd go through the same problems all over again because you didn't sort it out in the first one. Because the problem was never with your spouse. It was with you. It yep. was an internal issue that you weren't dealing with. And so that's one transition, the spousal transition that will change as you move into retirement or as you unretire and move in into your new um, found identity and newfound work, new find joys. Uh, relationship with your children will change um, and not necessarily, it might actually improve. Um, relationship with your work, with friends. Some friends, um, as I've found, you lose. And although it may strike you as sad initially, it's a good thing because they no longer, um, some people are no longer needed on your path and you are no longer needed in other people's path as you change and maneuver into your new, and, and also new friends brings a different freshness to your, um, to your life. Um, so it's about recognizing that we can't control everything. 
We've got to go with the flow and recognize that it's okay not to be okay, as you said, Jackie. I think that was a lovely way of putting it. And the other way of looking at this transition, which uh, Chip Conley and his modern Elder Academy people talk about, is this transition on several levels, but also this transition um, is, transitions are not easy, but they are necessary because staying where you are, being stuck is even worse. So in a sense, it's recognizing that um, these crises are actually opportunities for us to let go of the past and to move forward, trusting that it's going to be okay. And trusting that, um, that the, uh, to take the caterpillar butterfly analogy, going into a cocoon where the old self starts to dissolve while the new self is still not formed, but is forming. You know, this is a, the dark night of the soul um, uh, in a religious, spiritual sense, but it's also what uh, Joseph Campbell, the mythologist, talked about. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. I love that quote. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. One of the questions I ask people is, what are you afraid of? You'll find that what you're afraid of generally, and I'm not talking about the fear of jumping off a cliff. I'm talking about the imaginary fear. <laughs> exactly. So don't jump off the cliff. That, that's not a good thing. But the, the, I think it's the, um, the knowing that what you're afraid of has the seeds of what you desire. I think that's true in a, in a lot of situations too. A lot of people who are afraid to push themselves a little bit are, are actually thinking they're afraid to succeed, but what they really want is what's just past that. And that little sandbox is just a little bit too small sometimes. That's right. I have, I have just one last question for you. And it's something I read about it um, on the weekend and I thought it was kind of interesting. When you describe the boomer generation, what years do you put in it? I, I know 46 to 64 is kind of what people always kind of classify yeah. as boomers. Yeah. On the weekend, I read, a, I read an article and it said that there's actually, the boomers are up to about 1953 or so. And from 53 to 64 is another group that's called Generation Jones. And I thought this was interesting. It's, it, and it comes from the idea that you're trying to keep up with the Joneses or, you know, you're the slang phrase, you're, you're jonesing over something because you're, you know, you're wishing for something different. And it, it kind of made sense to me because there's that, that group of people that, that don't really fit with all the um, ideas that fit in the, in the boomer category, um, I know I'm I'm in 62, so that I fit in that just at the end there, and I don't feel the same as my sisters do all the time. But I thought it was kind of interesting, the Generation Jones. <laughs> I I haven't heard that, but it makes it makes sense. I mean, I I think these the whole concept of boomer is an artificial concept in the first place. It was it, it's an artificial concept, but it resonates true because um, it, it's the post-war children as it were exactly. and the you know the 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 massive 
influx of babies at that time literally did change the economy and the politics of of the world, particularly as the, this generation kind of drew, um, you know, sort of went through it. Um, yeah. and, and we created massive changes. But to come back to the Joneses, um, one of the things that I take from that is, is that um, because we were a large group of people, there's a, there's, a, there's a tribal thing about being in a large group of people. Um, and we, as humans, we like to be part of a tribe. We like to be um, accepted. We like to, you know, there's a sense of love and protection and, and uh, cohesion in, in that. But what that also does is it flips us over to the other side, which is we also want to be very individual. And I suppose the boomers are kind of like the age of Aquarius, you know, individual. And we, as as a sort of, um, as a group, I, I would say that we've probably been a bit schizophrenic um, from one end being wanting to be with groups. And if you remember the peace and love and all that stuff back in the 60s, um, to being very individual um, and uh, wanting to break out and doing things our way. Um, so there's resonance in the Jones generation, but I think it's it's an oversimplification because we're a kind of pretty motley crew. Uh, <laughs> with um, and, and I think those feelings of belonging and being independent is something that each of us have raged against both sides throughout yeah. our lives. Yeah, I, I'm very excited. I think uh, boomers have um, have a great choice to not just change their lives but change the lives of the people around them um the minute they recognize that um the mindset they've got they currently hold is limiting them and um a lot of the fears that they're experiencing um is 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 mindset issues limiting beliefs inherited limiting beliefs and once they cut that cord, um, it will unleash so much creativity, so much um, economic energy and individual energy, which at the moment is, is sapped and lost. And I suspect a group of those uh, boomers who have been in retirement for the last 10 years, I can't see how they will be able to turn back and, and reconfigure. They will just probably just continue down that road and take them wherever it does but those of us who still have our minds and bodies um in a good place will be able to change it and i would urge you to consider changing it earlier than you would otherwise have don't wait for it to get to the point where you know you reach the age of 88 outlive your savings and then realize oh should i be looking for a job <laughs> who's going to give you a job at 88 yeah. Um, and you want to be doing a job you love doing time to discover yourself is now seize the moment. Perfect. I think that's a great place to, uh, to end. That's a, a good call to action. Get out there and find what your purpose is. Absolutely. I know your book is available at Amazon. I'm sure I'm sure it's available at many other places as well. And if people want to reach out to you, they can get you on your website. That's right. Georgegeorgian.com. Perfect. So thank you very much, George. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. Likewise, Jackie. Thank you. 
And that's it for this episode of Beyond Retirement. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I hope you enjoyed it. Are you ready to start rocking your retirement? Head on over to www.beyondretirement.ca forward slash rocking it and sign up to plan out your own roadmap for retirement. Don't wait till it's too late.